seven words from the cross, seven statements that Jesus made in the dying moments of his life, and they matter a whole lot. I've been saying this to you, that each of these statements has a profound reality for each of us to embrace. They can impact our lives in such an incredible way, and they matter a whole lot. It is why we have set aside one week for every statement or every word of these seven that Jesus made from the cross. Now, in just a couple of weeks, and we've been two weeks in this series, and we'll have pause for Easter Sunday. And it's going to be an incredible day. And on that day, we will celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. But we have not yet made it to the resurrection. We're three days prior to that. And in this series, we've been talking about these statements. In fact, in the very first week, we looked at Jesus' words. And, and, and the key word, I think, out of what Jesus said, and we talked about forgiveness and why God's forgiveness matters a whole lot. And Jesus, in his dying moments, said, Father, forgive them, for they do, do not know what they do. Forgive them for they do not know what they do. And then last week, we looked at this whole idea of assurance. How can we know that we're in right standing with God? How can we know? Because we really need to know that we're going to go to heaven when we die. And Jesus gives this profound utterance of assurance to the second criminal, this felon, who is nailed to the cross near him. And, And this man reaches out, and he doesn't know all the words. He doesn't know about reconciliation, and he doesn't know about redemption. He doesn't know about salvation. He does not know about justification or propitiation. He doesn't know any of these things. He only knows to say, Jesus, remember me. And that was enough for Jesus. And Jesus said, when you come, and Jesus said to this, when I come into my kingdom, you're going to be with me. I assure you that today you're going to be with me. Today I assure you that you're going to be with me in paradise. And every one of these statements matter uh, a whole lot. Now, uh, when we think about Jesus in these dying moments, uh, all of us know that Jesus died while he was on the cross, but maybe you've never considered that Jesus was actually dying before they ever drove spikes into his hands and his feet. Now, how is it that we know this? Now, very rarely, this is how we we would have knowledge of this, very rarely would anybody survive the kind of scourging that Jesus went through in order to be nailed to the cross. It was like that was normally enough that would kill you. What Jesus went through was normally enough to kill you. So uh, generally speaking, it would not be everything, the scourging that he went through plus the cross because many people would never survive that kind of beating. But Jesus did, and then he went to the cross Scholars tell us that based on how he was beaten and with what he was beaten with, that he probably had in excess of 280 cuts and bruises on his back. We're we're told in the scriptures that he was mocked, but he was also beaten. He was slapped. He was punched. He was struck again and again, repeatedly. By the time Jesus, think about this, friends, by the time Jesus even gets to the cross, there is such a horrific loss of blood that he's already dying, but it was the cross that would finish him off. But before he dies, he makes these statements. We've been looking at them, forgiveness and assurance. And uh, today, I want us to look at a word that uh, really, really, I think, flows out of what we're about to see. As you know, the scenery around the cross, and I think it's important for us to, uh, again, remember this as we get ready to look at this particular passage in, in John 19 in just a moment. But the scenery around the cross is disturbing, to say the least. The masses who have flocked to and benefited from Jesus' ministry have now evaporated. But you cannot fully blame them because even his very own disciples, even those, uh, those 11 men that he had poured himself into, I say 11 because one has already killed himself. We know about Judas Iscariot. 
and how that even his own disciples deserted him for fear of their own arrest. The only friendly and supporting faces in the crowd are actually his, his friend, his best friend, many believe, John. And in addition to John, his mom was there. And this is where this story comes into play. And there were probably three to five uh, friends of his mom's that were there, that was there. Everyone else has vanished. And the word that best fits Jesus' third statement would have to be love. Because it is so obvious in what Jesus does. And you'll see what I mean. Let's look together. Uh, three verses here. This is John 19, verse 25. It says, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw, we need to talk about this because this matters a whole lot. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciples whom he loved, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son, indicating John. And to the disciple to John, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. And these three brief verses are two crucial realities that we need to learn. And that is going to be because this word, I think, that flows out of this statement is the word love because we see it evidence. We're going to talk about it in some greater detail, but we're going to learn how to love like Jesus. And we also need to see what Jesus does when we're in pain. First of all, and I'd like for you to get this down somewhere, you can put it on your phone or your tablet, but first of all, Jesus teaches us that we must care for our own family. That's what we learn. Right away we see this, that we need to care for our own family. This is such an incredible event unfolding at the cross, and what is Jesus' waning moments, but we often miss them. But what Jesus does is profound in its implication. He he looks past the angry mob. He looks past the ruthless soldiers, the unbelieving scoffers, those who are mocking him and jeering him and calling out to him with things like, you know, if you're really who you claim to be, come down from that cross. And he looks through all of that and he sees the face of his mom. And what is the most horrific moment of his life? He is completely, you think about this, and what is just gruesome in every way for him. He looks past all of that, and he dials completely into the agony and the grief of his mom. He gives to her his attention. And attention is a really wonderful gift when you think about it. To give somebody your attention matters a whole lot. In fact, many of you will go after the service, maybe to a restaurant somewhere, and you'll have lunch, or, or you'll be in a restaurant this this week, and there'll be a member of a wait staff that is helping to take care of you while you're enjoying your meal. And, and there's something about it when we just give people validity and attention. We can look into our menu if we choose and grumble and never really make eye contact, or we can look somebody, whether it's in a restaurant or a grocery store or a drugstore, the dry cleaners, and we can give to somebody our attention. And when we give somebody our, our attention, it's like a validation, and it gives to them this sense of respect and, and dignity and value. And we also know beyond that, just, you know, primarily, not exclusively, but primarily, what a wonderful gift it is to give to our family, to our parents, or to a child, to our spouse, to a sibling. It matters a whole, a whole lot. Your family matters a, a whole lot. And you, you, you've got to give them your attention. And this is what Jesus is teaching us. And most of you know, maybe you even saw them, that uh, our, our granddaughters are visiting us, our son and his wife and our two granddaughters, Kinley's three and Landry's one. And, and man, just, you know, it's, it's just such a privilege. And I appreciate it now even more since uh, Brent's career has taken him to another state. And, and to just be able to pour attention into them. In, in fact, we just found out 
out some new news a couple of uh, days ago that in addition to uh, Kenley and Landry, if, if they come back again, which they will, after November of this year, there'll be a, a third little one that they'll bring with them. And we're quite excited about that as well. And, and Brandon is praying for a boy. He wants a boy. And, and I get that. He wants a little baseball player like he was. He wants a, a boy. And I have mixed feelings about that, you know, because I want him to have a, a son as, as I had a couple of sons. But then I start thinking, what will life be like for that little guy if he comes into that home with those two girls who's going to control his life and boss him around till the day he leaves? But our family deserves our attention. And isn't it beautiful to see Jesus putting into practice the fifth of Ten Commandments, which says, honor your father and your mother. Most of you know, I've alluded to it uh, quite a lot recently that that dad passed away in, in September and of last year, and then mom in January of this year. They were young. Dad was 72. Mom was 70. And what a tremendous loss that has felt like. I was talking to my, my oldest sister. I'm the oldest of four. And I was talking to my oldest sister yesterday for 45, 50 minutes longer than we normally speak. And we were talking a lot, in this case, about mom and some memories of mom. And I said to my sister, you know, I, I have, and once I said this, she resonated with it. She said, you know, Jeff, I feel the same way. I said, Debbie, I, I don't feel, you know, I don't feel guilt. I, I, it's not like I feel regret even, but I just wish, I just wish in ways I'd given more, more, more attention. I wish that I had made more trips to Atlanta to see her. I wish that I had insisted on her making more trips here, just nudged her more, even when she was, you know, questionable as to whether or not she would or could come. And, and uh, I wish I'd just pressed her a little bit more. And then when she was here, I wish I'd taken more downtime. And maybe, maybe there's some people in your family that need some increased attention. I want you to check out these verses from 1 Timothy. This is uh, the first couple of verses are not on the screen, but this is out of chapter 5 when Paul is writing to Timothy. And he says, Timothy, and he's given not only a pattern for Timothy, but really as an elder and leader of a church, he's saying, uh, Timothy, when you think about the functionality of how Christ's body ought to work, he says this, show respect for widows who are really all alone. But if a widow, he adds, has children or grandchildren, they should learn first to carry out their religious duties toward their own family. And in this way, repay their parents and grandparents. And then listen to this next part, because that is what pleases God. Look at this next verse, four verses later, still in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 5, verse 8. This is what Paul continues with. He said, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, read the rest of it with me, everybody. Help me out. He has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Our family deserves our attention. And Jesus, you think about it. Maybe you're like me. Uh, in the initial times that you've read through the Bible in this gruesome crucifixion scene, maybe you've never thought about it as deeply as we're talking about it today, that in the midst of everything that is going on, all of the brutality, all of the agony, all the barbaric treatment that Jesus is going through, all of the voices and faces in the crowd, that in the midst of that, there are two faces that stand out to him. One of which is the face of his own mom. Mom, here's your son. John's going to take care of you now. Family matters a whole lot, doesn't it? I love this story. It's a story that Dan Mazio tells about his own father. Everybody called him Pop. He was a first-generation Italian-American who was struggling with liver and lung cancer. When doctors had given him less than a year to live, Pop bravely said, Hey, I'm not afraid to die. 
After all, his wife had already uh, passed and his children were now grown. But then Pop learned that his only son, Dan, was going to be a father. When Pop heard the news, he sat up and he resolved. He said, I'm, I'm going to make that. No matter what, I'm going to make that. The particular chemo that he was going through was torturous to his system. Some days it was all he could do to just mumble bad day to somebody that would call him on the phone. But when his granddaughter was born, he insisted on going to the hospital. The 90-minute ride tormented him. His son Dan whirled him into the maternity ward. Pop's arms were so weak that Dan actually had to hold the baby for him. But Pop did what Pop came to do, and he leaned over and he kissed his granddaughter and said, Sheila Marie, Grandpa loves you very, very much. Within seconds, he had dozed off. Within an hour, he was back in the car. Within days, he had died. But this is love, and this is attention, and this is caring, and this is what families ought to do. And and you think about this remarkable act by Jesus that he takes the person that he trusts the most, his best friend John, and the family member that he loves the most, which is his mom. And he says to her, your son, and he says to his friend, your mother, Take good care of my mom. Proverbs 17, 17 is a remarkable verse, and you'll see it here on the screen. Look at what it says. Friends uh, love through all kinds of weather, and families stick together in all kinds of trouble. And, and how many of you would agree that's what families ought to do? That's what friends ought to do. How many of you would agree with that? And if you say amen, you may have to elevate it. I don't know if I have an allergy deal, but my... Ears are stopped up today, so I probably need to mention that. So if you speak to me in the hall and I don't respond, you don't think that suddenly I've become a rude person. Just need to clarify that. So if you speak to me and I just look at you, you know. You know. But, but I can still see, may not be able to hear as well, but I can still see how many of you believe that family ought to take care of family, and this is exactly what Jesus was doing. Family ought to stick together through all kinds of trouble, ought to help each other out. But secondly, we find in this passage that we need to treat other Christ followers as our own family. And that really matters. Please hear me when I say this. If you are a Christian, everyone, hear this now. If you are a Christian, everybody in the body of Christ is your brother and your sister, your mother, your father. We're a family, and family really matters. Some of you have never heard this before, but actually, your spiritual family is going to outlast your physical family. How many of you know that? Your physical family is going to last how long? Your physical family is going to last as long as you're on this earth. That's as long as it's going to last. How long is your spiritual family going to last? Your spiritual family is going to last what? Forever in heaven. There will be an end to your physical family, at least here on earth, But there will never be an end to your spiritual family. And while we're here, while we're a part of the body of Christ, we have and we will in heaven all these brothers and sisters in Christ. I can remember many, many years ago, my grandmother, my dad's mom, we had traveled from Atlanta to South Georgia. and We went to church that Sunday with my grandmother. I'll never forget it. I was young. My little brother, who was seven years younger than I, he was there. My sister was there. My youngest sister was not even uh, born yet. But we were in that service, and we were at the Morningside Baptist Church. 
And I can remember that Sunday. It was Baptism Sunday, and we were all sitting there. My grandfather, who normally was not a church guy, he came because all of us were there. Uh, Grandma normally, unfortunately, had to go to church by herself, but Grandma was there, and Dad and Mom, and the three of us kids. And it was Baptism Sunday on Sunday morning. I remember the pastor's name, and and he was baptizing, and and he was baptizing like a man, and then out from the other side would come a woman, and and then a man, and then a woman. And and he kept saying this. We were all sitting there, and he would get ready for the baptism baptism. And he would say, I baptize you, my brother. And he had, I, I baptize you, my sister. I, I baptize you, my brother. I baptize, back and forth, my brother, my sister. Finally, my little brother looked up at me and said, Dad, that pastor sure does have a lot of brothers and sisters. <laughs> and we do, and you do. You've got a lot of brothers and sisters. Matthew twelve fifty says this, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, talking about other Christians, is my brother and sister and my mother. Now, how we treat our spiritual family is very important to God. Now, how do we know that? I've mentioned to you, first of all, what we learn from Jesus, even in the waning moments, the most torturous moments of his life, when he looks among all, past all the faces and through all the crowd, and he sees his mom and he pays attention. He gives respect and dignity and validation to his own mom. Mom, John's going to take care of you. In essence, is what he's saying. But now we're learning that our spiritual family matters a whole lot. It gets serious attention in the Bible. A lot of consideration is given to that. Look at this verse. This is 1 Timothy 5 now. This is what it says. 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2. Never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectfully as you would to your own father. Talk to younger men as you would to your own, as you would to your own brothers. Treat older women. He's talking about how, how the dynamics should work in the context of a local church. Treat older women as you would your mother and treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. Read this next verse with me. This is Romans chapter 12, 10. The guys are going to put it up on the screen as well. Everybody read this with me. Help me out now. Be devoted to each other like a loving family. Excel in showing respect for each other. Galatians 6.10 says this. You'll see this verse on the screen. When we have the opportunity to help anyone, we should do it, but we should give special attention to those in the family of believers. Do you know that when we demonstrate love and kindness and compassion and grace among us, it is a powerful witness. Recently, uh, we had at our church, I say recently, it's been a, uh, several months ago now, and we had a guest speaker. It was a missionary speaker, and he was an observant guy. He's sort of, you know, he's the kind of guy that pays attention to details, and, and I knew him, and, and he had been watching you quite actually, you know, before the services and, you know, afterwards, and so he and I were having some conversation, and he said to me, he said, Jeff, you know, I've been in a lot of churches, but I've got to tell you, Some of the nicest, kindest, happiest people that I've ever met are are, are the people at at Lakeside Village. And you know, when he said that, it it made me so proud of you. I was so proud, you know, I was so proud he didn't say to me, hey, you know, Jeff, I'm, I'm traveling, I'm in churches all the time, all over the nation, came in contact with a lot of people at your church, and they're some of the meanest, nastiest, grumpiest people I've ever met. And when I heard 
you know, on the, the love that, that he saw evident among you, it, it spoke to him, and he wanted to relate that to me. And again, in those moments, I could not have been more prouder of, of you, and I just thought, man, that's, that's so beautiful. And that's the way the functionality of a church ought to work, how that we just love each other, and we care for each other. And we treat the older women like our moms, and the older men like our dads, and, and we treat each other like brothers and sisters, and there's such love and kindness and grace demonstrated among us that it's just a really, really good place to be a part of. Friends, do not underestimate the value of oneness and unity. It is a beautiful thing to behold in the eyes of God, isn't it? And it's a powerful witness. You know, the moment that you go online and you let people know, you know, I go to church, or even more so when you say I'm a Christian, automatically, even if you're not aware of it, people begin to look at you and they begin to observe your life. And they're making judgment calls whether it's fair or not. And they're looking to see if what you have is real. And they look at us as a church and they wonder, is that really real? And, and when they see the beauty of how love and care and how we treat each other in the family of God, what happens, the thinking and inspection and really... You know, at, at times, the scrutiny of the unchurched and people who are far from God, they look and say, well, is, is this legit? And they'll either become receptive to our message because they see that love and the laughter and the care and the compassion, or they will totally reject our claims as a result of strife or infighting or selfishness. A number of uh, years ago, I picked up this book. I, I liked the guy, the speaker, uh, quite a lot. I had an opportunity to hear him on the West Coast several years ago. Uh, Greg Laurie wrote an incredible book called The Upside Down Church, and in it, I'll just read a couple of paragraphs. He said, the reason the early church could share their possessions was that they were actually living out the second great command to love their neighbors themselves. We see, he writes, that their unity and love was so powerful that all the people, I'll put it in quotes because he's quoting a passage out of the Bible, that all the people thought well of them, of the Christians. And then he adds in the next paragraph, who wouldn't want to join in on such a love fest where everyone was cared about and accepted? He said, and it's true, as a result, their, members explode, their numbers exploded and thousands of people came to Christ. Why? It was because they treated, think about this now. It's the mantle that we pick up that we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ as members of our very own family. And we love them the way they ought to be loved. And we care for them the way that they ought to be cared for. And, and Paul was writing to those, those believers in Galatia. And he says, we ought to take opportunities to help anybody we could. He said, but give special attention to those who are in the family of believers. Take care of your moms and your dads, your brothers and your sisters. It matters a lot to God. Now, having covered what we have to this point from this activity that we see playing out, on the cross. Here are a couple of things that we need to grasp before we're done. I want to give you two, and, and then we're, we're going to wrap up. Number one, we must see the pain of other people even when we're in pain. We must see. Be sure you get that somewhere. Write it down. Be, be sure that we're dialed into the pain, that we see the pain of other people even when we're in pain. This is exactly what Jesus teaches us and what is the most painful moment of his own life. And it is totally contrary to what we typically do. Usually, I mean, generally speaking, usually, the majority of the time, when we're going through a time that is painful to us, who do we think of most? When we're hurting, when we're in pain, who, for the most part, do we think of most? I'll tell you who. I can't speak for anybody here. I can speak for me. I think of me. 
Isn't that, do, do you do that as well? Anytime you're going through a hurt, a pain in your own life, do you find that it's so easy to just think about you? You've heard the statement, I've made it here before, that that's how we really know the difference between major surgery and minor surgery. What is major surgery? Major surgery is if I'm having it, minor surgery is if you're having it. <laughs> Maybe the same surgery, but it's major because it's me. I mean, we could do that, can't we? We could do that about our own fears. We can look at our own fears that can almost paralyze us. And we can look at our fears and they just sort of freeze us up emotionally or, or physically, spiritually. They just sort of freeze us up. And we're really disturbed by our own fears. But then we look at somebody else's fears and we say, that's so stupid. Why would they, why'd they be fearful about that? And as our reflex that when we're going through a time of pain or a time of hurt during those seasons, it's very easy to become self-centered. But what Jesus is doing is Jesus is actually trying to shock us out of that. Instead of following our standard inclination, Jesus wants you and I to become more like him. In fact, Paul says it this way. Look on the screen in Philippians 2.4. He says, your attitude should actually be the same as that of Christ Jesus. I want you to hear what I'm about to say. This, we're all falling into this trap, and I'm talking to you, and I'm talking to me as well. If our attitude is basically, Ben, you know what? I've got my own problems, and until things are pretty much perfect in my life, I'm not going to be in a place to help other people with their pain. Have you ever felt that way? You know, I'm going through a time of pain in my life. I'm going through a time of hurt in my life, and when things get a lot better, then maybe at that point, I'll be in a much better position to help somebody else with their pain. Let me let you in on a little secret. You're never going to help anybody. You're never going to help anybody because you'll never be able or I will never be able to see somebody else's pain because we continually focus on our own. And the more we focus on it, and sometimes even the more we wallow in it, the worse that it becomes. I want to say this to you. If you happen to be fit, stuck in a painful season of your life, I want to say to you, I'm, I'm so sorry as your pastor, I want you to know I am so sorry that you're going through the pain that you're going through. I am so sorry that you're going through the hurt that you're going through. And I know it's real. Talked about that in, you know, recently, in the last couple of weeks. I just said, you know, in a matter of just a few months with the grandbabies, you know, Brent and Nicole, they, they could have moved. I would have been all right. But when you take Papa's babies, that's a whole different deal. And then two months later, dad passed. And three and a half months later, mom passed. And if you're going through a tough time, I'm so sorry. Talked to a guy yesterday. Never met him. He doesn't even attend our church. He said he will be attending our church. And somehow I got the call and it was left on my voicemail. I was in my office yesterday and I called this gentleman and he may be in this service right now. And this guy just poured out a heartbroken story. Heartbreaking story. And I just, I just listened to him and he, you know, you could tell he was a sharp, educated guy, and, and yet there would be all these pauses because he, he, he'd just be choking on the words that he wanted to say with the pain of his own emotion. His pain was real. I were going through what he was going through. I, I'd be feeling, I'm sure, the same way. And I said to this guy before we got off the phone, I said to him, I know you may feel like you've been given up on that People have given up on you, but I want to assure you that God has not given up on you. And God never will. And he wants you. 
But we still must do what Jesus did. Even in the midst of our own pain, to try to see the pain of other people and help them. And do you know what is amazing about that? When we help some, this is beautiful. You know, the more that I focus on my hurt, the more that I focus on my pain, the more that it lingers with me. But there's just something so spiritually healing and therapeutic that in the midst of my own hurt, in the midst of my own pain, if I can somehow see your hurt and your pain and reach out and help you, then somehow, miraculously, God begins to heal my pain. And I realize that I'm not the only one hurting. And I'm not the only one going through pain. And there's other people that feel that and even more pain than I have. Look at 1 Peter 4.1. This is what it says here. Since Christ suffered and underwent pain, you must have the same attitude he did. You must be ready to suffer. This is probably not our favorite verse, is it? You must be ready to suffer too. For remember, when your body suffers, sin loses its power. So what Jesus is demonstrating for us here is that we must see the pain of others even when we're in pain. In the most painful moments of his life, he still sees the face of his mom and the face of his best friend. Finally, from Jesus, we must learn to meet the needs of others even when we're in need. We must learn to meet the needs of other people even when we have needs ourselves. Guess how long you're going to have needs in your own life? You're going to have them until the day you die. In fact, you and I came into this world having huge needs. You think about that. When you were born, you are incredibly needy. You did. You needed somebody to feed you. You you could not, as a baby, get into a car and drive yourself to Chick-fil-A six days a week. You, you You couldn't do that. You could not change your own diaper. And those who did regret the day they had to do it because it was horrible. But you were in need. And the reality is you're going to have needs up until the moment that you die, and so will I. And in between, when you think about it, we're never going to fully escape some level of neediness. Now think about this. The activity of Jesus upon the cross remains the most important event ever accomplished in all of history. I'm going to say that again. What Jesus did on the cross remains to this day the most important event that ever happened in human history. You think about what Jesus did. Everything hinges on what happened when Jesus was on the cross. Everything hinges on that. There's no need for heaven if that has not happened. There's there's no salvation. There's no forgiveness of sin. There's no cleansing. There's no reason or purpose for living uh, uh, apart from what Jesus did. Jesus gives us a reason for living, a purpose, uh, you know, for our existence, the hope of heaven, sins forgiven. All of that is wrapped up in the most important event that has ever happened in, in history. And it is indicative of the values that Jesus portrayed, even from the cross. But they are totally, hear me on this, they are totally contrary to this world's values. The values of this world is basically this. The bigger I get, the more important that I become. The busier I am leaves me with no time or energy to care for, notice, or help or encourage those who are in need. But Jesus' values... Still clearly visible, in, even in great distress. He saw the need of his family. He saw the need of his best friend. He looked out and he saw the person that he trusted the most, which was John, his best friend, and his family member that he loved the most. And he said to your mom, Mom, here's your son. John's going to take care of you. 
Theologians believe that Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, God we know was his father, but that Joseph, his earthly father, had been dead maybe for many years at this point. Mary's at the cross, not with her husband. And he said, Mom's John, he's going to take care of you. John, here's your mother. Take care of Mom. You take really good care of Mom. You know, you and I, as long as we focus on our own hurt, our own pain, our own needs, and wait for perfect conditions, we're never going to help anybody. And we may even prolong the pain that we have in our lives. And I get this. I want things to be perfect. Don't you? I mean, I, I, I want perfect conditions. It's my nature. It's my pers- personality. Yesterday, um, you know, my son, his family, they had gotten back. Well, he did not. He was in a golf tournament, and so his family went to the beach. And so uh, they got back from the, and Kenley, who's three, I was vacuuming out uh, my, my cars. I'm vacuuming out. I called Kenley. I said, Kenley, come over here and help Papa uh, clean, clean the inside of the car. And so she came over, and I handed that to her. little. And she just started. I just thought she'd be like, you know, a, a three-year-old and just sort of slap it around a little bit and, you know, be done with it in about 10 seconds. And then I just watched her little personality she started seeing little specks on that carpet and she was just like she just every every tiny little remnant of anything had to and she was not gonna stop until everything was perfect I went into the house I cut the vacuum off I followed her in and I said to Brent and Nicole I said oh my goodness I am so afraid I've just learned something about the personality of your daughter my granddaughter it is a whole lot like her pawpaws. <laughs> she wants everything to be just perfect. And I do. But it will not be. And maybe you do, but it will not be. And if you just say, I'm going to wait until everything is great in my life, then I'm going to help people. Then I'll see their pain. Then I'll reach out and meet their needs. You're never going to help anybody. Jesus became the chief example. And what is, what is the most difficult moments that any human being would ever go through? And keep in mind, yes, he was fully God, but he was also fully human. And he felt every bit of the torture and the pain that he went through. And in his toughest moment, he looks out and he sees a friend and he sees his mom and he wants to help them both. Read this last verse with me, everybody. This is out of Romans 15, 2. Each one of us needs to look after the good of the people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? How can I help? When's the last time you have asked yourself that question, how can I help? When have you said that? How can I help? How can I help somebody physically? How can I help somebody emotionally, be supportive? How can I help them practically? I've got a gift, talent, and ability. Uh, you know, you recognize you're busy. John Maxwell said the world is run by busy people, but you know what? I, I want to help somebody practically. I can help them with this. I can reach out. I just encourage you to do that between now and Easter. Don't stop at Easter. Don't let that be your finish line. But, but especially over these next uh, 13, 14 days, ask yourself, how can I be of help? What can I do? How can I support somebody? How can I be there for them emotionally? How can I be for them physically, practically? How can I be there, how can I be there for, for them spiritually? 
You know, one of the greatest things you could do for a family member or a friend this year is to invite them to be here on Easter Sunday. You've got these cards, and I encourage you to get as many as you can, and, and you, in, you invite them to come out, and you just tell them, hey, you know, we're going to have three one-hour services. We're going to have a first service, 845, 945. If that works for you, good. I'll meet you there, or 10 to 11. If that one's better for you, I'll meet you 1115 to 12. And, and you just say, you do everything that you can to get them here. And, and you, you may run into this, and, and I hope in a way that you do, because if they state this as an excuse for not coming, then, then you've got them. If they look at you and they take the card and, and, and they say, well, hey, I, I, I'd really like to be there. And you may hear this. But I don't have church clothes. When they say that, you've got them, because all you've got to do is say, good, my pastor don't have church clothes either. You're coming with me. And we'll see. Our God do an amazing thing. What can I do? How can I help somebody who's in need? Spiritually, physically, practically, emotionally. Would you stand with me and let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this phenomenal day. Thank you for your example. God, if any of us had been in your place, all we could have seen was ourselves. I would, have been, I would have been the focus of my own concern. But you set for us a mighty example that you, even when you were dying, you could look out among the faces. You could do everything you could to help your friend and your mom. Help us to help people that are in pain. Help us to help people that are hurting. Help us to help people that are in need. God, I pray that we'd give it everything that we have over these next couple of weeks. Help us to love the way that you love, serve the way that you serve. In Jesus' name, everybody said, I love you, everybody. Have an awesome day. See you back here next Sunday.